You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. And welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football, presented by Tarps Apparel. I am Tim Kemper, along with Cliffy D. Hey, see? No snide remarks this week. We're on equal footing, even though you're taller than me. Still Not by much. But we're still on equal footing, so my little buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um... We're we're too, we're too happy Pete. we're too happy Alouette fans, aren't we? <laughs> oh my god! I, listen, if if you're not happy after what you just saw this past Sunday, Woo. then then why are you even watching football for crying out loud? Because I mean, that was that was good. That was what this city. Th- this is what this team's fan base. This is what this whole organization needed. Was just. A uh, straight up ass kicking. Uh huh. Yes. And they were handing them out like people are handing out candy door to door tonight. Oh yes, uh, yes. Happy Halloween. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, it wasn't the best of games. It being weather wise, but you know what? It doesn't matter for the. And I know the team announced. I think the team announced sixteen. But the the fans who actually did show up, they got to see an amazing game. No matter if it was if there was a a, a you know a steady drizzle going on for the entire game. It was just an amazing game that had everything that we want to see. There were a few things that we do want to talk about, which I know has been going across social media, and hopefully we can give our our, our, our take on it. Um, also, we have an interview this week. Uh, he is the new, one of the newest Alouettes on the team, Cliff. Uh, he is... Uh, a, a rookie defensive back who's been doing absolutely amazing for the uh, for the first two weeks and his first two games within the CFL. Uh, number thirty-three, Greg Reed. Uh, we also have some ver- uh, some exclusive information that came to us directly from the team about the upcoming changes to Percival Molson Stadium for the two thousand and nineteen season, and we will be talking about those uh, plus much more. Plus much more. Uh, but first, we've got to talk about the game, right, man? We've got to talk about the game and, and, the, and the good, the bad. And yes, there was some ugly, but the, you know, we talk about the good and the bad itself, right? Absolutely. So the, the game itself, the, the Alouettes ended up smoking the, the Toronto Argonauts 40-10. to 10. By the way, it's funny. Remember I said that they, for the Owls to win, they would need to score 30 points. They've scored 40. Uh, just an overall complete game by this, by the, by this team. Um, overall, uh, Johnny Manziel, who only played a half, I mean, it, it really doesn't signify how well the team did. Uh, he was a 7 of 14 for 139 yards, no picks, one touchdown. In the second half, Antonio Pipkin came in. He was 5 of 10 for 46 yards and a touchdown. Uh, it's true that the, the Owls really didn't do that much in the second half. Uh, and surprisingly, Eugene Lewis, one for one for 61 yards. And a touchdown, 61-yard touchdown, man. <laughs> perfect, 
Efficiency rating of 158.3 for Eugene. I, I, let's still, let's keep him at, uh, at wide receiver. What do you think? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> why not add one more to the clown car, right? But uh, <laughs> no, I, unbelievable play by Eugene Lewis. I, I mean, gadget play just caught everybody napping. Yeah. And yeah, w- w- again, once again, Eugene Lewis with these crazy plays in his CFL it's career. It's true. You're right. Uh, I, I don't know how this guy does it. He's just—it's—it's it's become synonymous with Eugene Lewis. Is some sort of wacky play. Uh, it just no one, no one saw this coming, no. and that's what—that was the beauty of it. And yeah, he just heaved a bomb to George Johnson, who was wide open, had nothing but real estate in front of him, and took it to the house. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable I, I, play. I missed it at first because I was doing something and talking to my seatmate because we had upgraded our seats to the to to the 55 yard line for the game which were absolutely probably the best seats i've ever had i know i when we were sitting on the 50 yard lane they were good i didn't care if it was raining or not the seats were absolutely amazing um rushing wise uh the leader leaders was a uh, william stanbeck and lawrence Pittman. so we got to see a look at both of the possibly both of our future running backs for the alouettes both of them had 60 yards but stanbeck did it on nine carries uh Pittman did it on six um no touchdowns for for rushing uh manzel had uh, 35 yards pipkin had 20 uh even tj graham got into into one for five uh receiving wise uh leading receiver was william stanbeck <laughs> 52 yards on on two receptions uh two touchdowns uh next set to that was ernest jackson ejack had uh, 29 yards i'm sorry I, I forgot about george johnson george johnson led the team i apologize he led the team with 86 yards on four receptions um and then again eugene lewis you know what's funny dude he passes for 61 he catches for 61 unbelievable <laughs> man I, I tell you what william standback what a find this kid has been yeah. and I, you, you also spoke about Lawrence Pittman as well, and he looked like you talk about a coming out party. Like he had a very solid performance. Oh, he did in the backfield. I mean, like just tra- being able to trade uh, trade reps with uh, with Stanback was just. I, I think they worked off each other perfectly. They both helped contribute immensely to the offense, which is again this ground game. I keep saying they have to keep developing the ground game, and now that you know you've got two. P- Potential studs, three really, if you count Ryder Stone, who unfortunately is on the six-game six injured list. You've got some real depth back here all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And like these are not household names. Like People aren't going to recognize these guys compared to Andrew Harris or, uh, or, or John White or uh, William Powells, mm-hmm. for example, of the Canadian Football League. But like, these guys here, Stanbeck, Pittman, and Stone too when he's healthy, yep. Like this, this is all of a sudden a very – a very loaded backfield and still very young too. And that's the key element here, folks is young. Like you always want to be getting younger and better. And the better part comes with time. comes with experience, of course, but knowing that we have these potential weapons going into the future is definitely, definitely cause for excitement as far as I'm concerned. And once again, for whomever the offensive coordinator is, for years, this team has not run the ball effectively, despite having some real studs at running back. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at what Tyrell Sutton's doing in BC. Yeah, and this guy is not who you think he is. He's a lot better, actually. And it just comes down to 
you've got the weapons, use them properly. And I think, and I'm really hoping now, just based on the performance that we saw this past Sunday, that Montreal realizes, hey, we've got some, we've got some real talent back here. We've got to nurture this. We've got to make this work. And especially going into 2019, knowing that you've got these young studs in the backfield, ready to go. Uh, I mean, that's exciting as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Toronto, uh, James Franklin was 21 of 32, 205 yards, no interceptions and a touchdown, but he did have a big fumble in the fourth quarter. Uh, Franklin was, uh, was the leading receiver, uh, sorry, the leading rusher for the team, nine carries for 71 yards, but held off the board, no rushing touchdowns. So he does not break the CFL, uh, CFL rushing, uh, record by a quarterback this week. He doesn't do it against us. He can do it against whoever he wants to next week. Uh, leading receiver for the Argos was uh, was it was it Levi Newell with 100, uh, 105 yards. He was eight for eight, eight targets, eight receptions. Uh, but obviously the big thing here besides our offense, Cliff, was a first Boris Bede, perfect four for four. Makes me wonder what got into his head this week to make that that constant that made him concentrate because I know the Owls didn't sign another quarterback to uh, sorry another kicker to our practice roster. Um, but he had a perfect game. Also, block kick. Woody Barron and his block kick on that field goal attempt. Wow. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stefan Logan uh, still made, you know, would, would, uh, still made uh, him 46 yards each way. Punt returns and kickoff returns. But the defense, the defense shined for these Alouettes. So we talked about before, Greg Reed in his second game. Uh, seven tackles again. Glenn Love had eight. So you have guys now that are really stepping up that we have not seen before that is doing, you know, these aren't the normal names that we've seen is that is stepping up for, for the defense. No, and they have to step up because a lot of the guys that we started the season with, uh, names like Dominique Ellis and Mitchell White, like these were the guys that were supposed to be the defensive studs for us this year, but unfortunately due to injuries, uh, just didn't quite work out that way. So once again, you got that next man up mentality and these guys – Guys like Love and Reed are going to have to step up and be that force. And again, Tommy Campbell as well was also a, showing why he's one of the the best guys in the secondary to have. Yeah, uh, he he was all over the place as well. I mean, pretty much everybody on this team stepped up in a big way. And of course, he knocked Mwamba. I mean, this guy is oh, yeah. just yeah. an absolute beast. I, I mean, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I mean, if we could clone this guy and get like eleven of them. To put out on the, on the field, along with the original Hinoch Mwamba, oh my, uh, that 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 would be scary. Yeah. But uh, I, it just speaks to just how good of a player he is. And even though this is essentially a throwaway game, these guys still knew that they had to s- step up and be there and just make a statement. And that's what they did on Sunday. It was this Alouette's defense made a true statement to keep Toronto off the board for a good part of the of the game. You're doing something right, and it's it's nice to see that this defense is finally showing that potential. I, some would say it's a little bit late for that, but at the end of the day, I expect this team to perform at a high level, and they they finally are. They are finally hitting their stride again. Better uh, better late than never, I guess it would be the best way to describe it. I yeah, mean, yeah, <laughs> they they did what they had to do, and the results were there. It's plain and simple. They, I mean, and they didn't lead in, in all in a lot in all of offensive categories. I mean, uh, they didn't lead in total time of possession. Toronto had the ball for an extra five minutes, um, but takeaways. You know, the Alouettes led two nothing. 
Um, trying to see penalties themselves. It, we only had five. That, that's a huge plus. That really is. Uh, second down conversions, they were only 6 of 19, but, st- but still they made the most of them from what, from what it looks like here. Um, but I think the thing we need to think of the most when it comes to the defense is how this game uh, finished up, especially for the fans when it came to John Bowman. <laughs> uh, a, a, a player who, if he does retire, I'm sure all Alouettes, he's going to, you know, he will be one of the, the names to remember when it comes to players in Alouette's history. Uh, he'll, he'll be there, you know, in the same breath as Ben Cahoon, as AC, uh, Pierre Vircheval, uh, on and on and on. But Bowman, man, what a game. And considering how he's been playing since he had that major injury on his arm. Yeah, I, again, I, I, I could talk for hours about the the incredible career that John Bowman's had and... The fact that this may very well have been his last game, at least in Montreal. I, I don't know if he's actually going to play this Saturday against the, the Tiger Cats in Hamilton. If this was his last game, talk about going out with a bang oh, because no he oh. he crushed it. I mean, like he was still the John Bowman we came we, we've known and loved for so many years. But to turn in a performance like that, like talk about going out on top. Like, oh, no, yeah. he's not he's not going to the playoffs. He doesn't have a chance for a great cup ring. I mean, this it's definitely wouldn't be the season you'd want to hang your hat on as far as possible retirement goes. But that last game, if this this was his last game, what a note to go out on. I mean, he was just phenomenal. I all over the place, still tackling, still throwing, throwing down quarterbacks like it's nothing. And then two fumble recoveries, and then the second fumble recovery. The first fumble recovery was fantastic off that blocked field goal kick. Yeah, but the second one. Thanks to Ryan Brown with a great tackle on James Franklin in the end zone. Unfortunately, Franklin loses the ball, and who's there to pick it up and score a touchdown? John Effing Bowman. That's right, man. Uh, you couldn't script this. You no. could not script this. That's what makes this so incredible is the fact that if, if this was his last, it just truly really was his last game, what a way to go out. Like, no one could have possibly imagined that this was how John Bowman's last game was going to be. And. You talk about memorable game. This is a, this is a game people are going to remember for a long, long time. And man, I tell you what, like whatever John decides to do, like he says, he's ninety eight percent sure that he's calling it a career after this season. And if that's the case, what a way to go out! What a what a final chapter! Oh yeah, of, yeah. of a storied career. Un, simply, simply unbelievable. I, I, like I said, I could I could talk about this for hours. Oh, just no. how and, and what's incredible funny, it is. You say that too. You saw how he answered me. We talked to him. We were lucky enough to talk to him after the game and 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 say thank you. Um, but you 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 heard the reaction. It really wasn't us. He didn't say anything. It's just his grunt or, or the way that he answered me when I said we hope you would come back. But yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Bowen will be back next year. But man, this what a way to go out again. It, just absolutely a beast. Uh, it just. Yeah, I, like you, I, I could just go on. It's tough to lose these players that we've known for so long, and considering that they seem to be playing really, really well. Um, by the way, speaking of really well, too, was the O-line. We didn't give up a sack. Nope. What the what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, the, uh, the, o, the O-line, they, they did their job. They they did exactly what they had to do. They had to protect the quarterback. They had to get Johnny Manziel or Antonio Pipkin, whoever it was behind center. They had to give them the chance to do their thing, and they did. So once again, it was it's one of those situations where 
I guess better late than never because I mean if if it had been like this a lot sooner in the season, man, so many things could have gone differently. But it is what it is, and they stepped up and they played a gr- a really good game. Yeah, I, I'll I'll give them props for that. They played a solid game. They let their quarterback do their thing, and again, that that's what you want from the offensive line is just protect the quarterback, let them make plays, create lanes for the running backs. Uh, that's that's it. You you really can't ask for more than that. No, no, you can't. Uh, before we talk about some something that came after the game that we want to talk, and it's been talked about actually quite a bit recently, and it's just really really frustrating to hear about this thing. But we have to give our we have to give our our uh, our uh, grades for the team this week. Um, how would you how would you rate the overall for the offense this past week versus Toronto? Offense would be uh, honestly, I'll give them an A. They, they put up forty points. They made their passes. Uh, oh, they got the ground game involved. Well, I'm going to be 33 points. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, Fair picky, enough. Picky, 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 picky. <laughs> but they put a lot of points on the board. Yes, they did. Uh, they. It was a very balanced, uh, very balanced attack. Uh, didn't make any mistakes. Honestly, I mean, a, a few drop passes here and there. That was probably about the worst thing I can think of. Yeah. Uh, really, truly, like they. They deserve an A for for everything they did this past Sunday. I mean, we, we, let's not forget they did play the Argos, who kind of like the Alouettes, really don't have much to play for and not a whole lot to write home about. But at the end of the day, you're still a professional, and I still expect you to turn in a professional effort. And that's what the Alouettes' offense did was they put in a professional effort and they kicked ass. There, there's just no other way to say it. They yeah. kicked ass, and yeah, I, I would definitely say that I, I would give them an A for their for their performance. Um, I'm looking at how the uh, the offense did in the second half. I mean, they really, you know, except for the except for the uh, for the Stanbeck touchdown um, late in the fourth quarter, um, they really didn't do anything offensively in the second half. So it really wasn't a perfect situation. And in, in in my case, I mean, I would love to give them an A, but to be fair, if you want to have a perfect, uh, you know, a, a perfect grade you need to have a perfect game so i'm gonna give i actually i'm gonna give them a b plus on the on the offense because i think if they could have done a little bit more in the second half i understand that there was a change in quarterback which we're really going to be talking about in a couple of minutes here um i, I think they, they would have gotten an a now defensively i i, I have no this is easy yeah the defense gets an a for everything that they did the defense gets an a yeah the the, the best that the the Argos could do was a touchdown, a field goal. Yeah. Other than that, uh, listen, this defense did everything they were supposed to do. They got to the quarterback. They he made mistakes. Uh, they they kept guys like S.J. Green and Armani Edwards for the most part in check. I mean, uh, running game. Did the Argos have a running game? It, it's, if if they didn't, it's because the linebackers and the defensive line were doing their job as well. So. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with you. This is definitely another A, as far as I'm concerned. Like this was an A, I won't say A plus, but this was an A absolutely for this uh, Alouette's defense. They they more than did their job. They they dominated, yeah. and it's been a long time since I can say it, the Alouettes dominated somebody. Yeah. Now the big the big uh, kerfuffle, the big thing that was talked about on social media, was talked about after the game, was the change in quarterback. And we, oh, Scott, I've seen so many people from from reporters from the Gazette to talking uh, to talking heads on TV, and, and I'm like, and fans, and everybody's talking about, oh, the team does not believe in Johnny Manziel because they pulled him at halftime. 
Well, <laughs> first, if we are to believe, and I, I tend to believe this, it was put out after the game that it was actually stated that Johnny, he, he, I think it came from the coach and it came from Johnny, that it was already put into place that he was going to only going to play half a game. And Pipkin was good. Pipkin was and actually, I think, uh, uh, who else? Uh, I think Pipkin was going to get most of the reps, but I think they were supposed to go with, with, with somebody else too. Um, but they, they, but they didn't. But what, what's your take on this, Cliff? Because I've heard all this thing, you know, Johnny, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. We had this whole kerfuffle last week afterwards about, about oh, you know, he's, you know, nobody likes him, which I really think that was a planted article by somebody. And But are they making a, a, something out of nothing? I mean, do you believe what the, what the coach said, that he was only supposed to be in there for a half and then let, let Pipkin try and, and, and show what he could do? I believe it. What at this point? What what is there to lose? I mean, last, last time I checked, the Yellows were not going to the playoffs. This was not an important game in the sense of you know for the, in the standings or for anything else really. Like this was a strictly a game for pride. I mean, I didn't even go so far as to say this was essentially another like a glorified preseason game for 2019. Like this is a chance to see who you've got and what you can do with them. Right. And listen, we. I want to say we know what we've got with Johnny Manziel, and unfortunately, it's not a whole lot to write at home about. But listen, Johnny played fi- a fine game, played well. He got his he got his first CFL victory, so props to that. Yeah, uh, we know what Pippin can do under the right circumstances. So yeah, why not throw him out there and get some reps as well? Why not? I mean, he didn't. It's not like the team just fell apart because Pippin was behind center. Like he did okay too. Like not fantastic, but. He did what he needed to do as well. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like anyone make trying to make more of this and what it really is. I mean, you're you're grasping at straws as far as I'm concerned. Like this is this is a nothing argument. Yeah, like to I, yeah. There there are many people too there, and they're like, oh, he's you know just because of this, he, I can guarantee you he won't be here next year. He's going to be traded to another team. He's going to be let go out of his contract because he's going to go to the. Uh, to the XFL, or he's going to be signed early by the XFL so he can be the face, or he's going to be signed by the AAF. I mean, yes, things can change, but Johnny has said that he's going to uh, he's going to uh, uh, he's going to to honor his last year of his contract, and if it gets extended there or not, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, the Owls gave up what they did for him. I'm sure they want to keep them, keep him on the roster. So I. <laughs> I don't know what I'll, what I'll, these talking heads are talking about. I mean, you know, just because they did this, you, you know, it's. I understand. Yes, it's, it is a nothing game, but they maybe they do want to look at Pipkin to see if he was as as he as he showed earlier in the season. You know, uh, I, I think it's really it's really all about nothing. I think it's just yeah. people trying to talk just to make something up to, to that that it isn't. Johnny, yeah. they're, they're saying, oh, he's not in the he's not in the community. He just, you know what, Johnny maybe need he. I don't think players have gotten to the community right away. I think one of the biggest things I think which people forget about is that Johnny made the rounds on the fan train last week. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to. No. And in fact, uh, from what I recall too, like there, there seemed to be a little bit of confusion initially as to whether the players were actually going to be on the fan train as well, which I, I haven't helped the LOS if that ever came to pass, because the whole point of the fan train was that you get a chance to sit and, socialize with the players after the game on the way back home from Toronto or Hamilton or wherever it is you go. Right. So for the fact that Johnny would actually go through and, you know, make the rounds and that was, I, I definitely, I'll, I tip my cap to that. I, I, 
again, the fans that go and pay to go watch that game, which unfortunately was not a, a great victory or even a vic- any sort of victory for this team. Like, this is what they have to look forward to. And yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, with Manziel making the rounds and uh, chatting it up with fans and sign, you know, doing the things that you expect the players to be doing, I think that says a lot. I think that definitely shows that he's at least somewhat interested or at least willing to meet obligations. I mean, it's hard to say because we don't really know too much about We think we know about Manziel, but in all reality, we still there's still so much we don't know about the guy. And uh, if you want, everyone wants to come on the podcast and clear up a few things, he's definitely more than welcome to. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, I, I agree. Like, I think there's a, people who clearly have too much time on their hands or just, you know, overactive imaginations. I don't know what it is, but you're saying all this stuff and you're really just spitballing as far as I'm concerned. Like you're throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks as far as rumors or innuendo or suggestions or whatnot. It's to me, it's all sound and fury signifying nothing because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where the Alouettes are going to go in 2019. I, I, yes, Manziel is under contract until the end of 2019. He has stated on, on the record that he is intending to honor that contract. Uh, but you're right. Things can change in a heartbeat. Uh, team could go in a totally different direction and decide to move away from him. Anything is possible. I mean, until then, that's all this is. It's just people just speculating and trying to make something out of nothing. It's, I don't know, to me, what's the point, really? (laughs) No, I I don't get it. I just just don't get it. I just don't get why, especially at this point of the season, too. What do you care? Like You you spend all this time building up Manziel like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, comes in here, plays seven games, and only wins one. Now you're ready to bury the guy yet again and basically tell, tell him he's trash after you just spent the whole time licking his boots. Yeah. Uh, make up your friggin' minds. That's what I want to say to these talking heads and media types. Like, what do you want from the guy? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I think it's another I'm, thing. I think it's another thing, too, Clippy, and you brought up a good point is also that, you know, you know, he has not drawn. I don't think that he has drawn what he what the team thought he was going to draw. But they also have to understand that, uh, yes, there was an uptick after his first game. He drew like 2,000 extra people. But it's it's basically leveled off since then. I think what these talking heads need to understand is that Johnny Manziel may not have been able to save this team this year when it came to drawing people because of a couple of factors. One being the team was, was not very good on the field as far as record-wise. Okay. Also, mm-hmm. look, at the home, look at the weather for the home games that we've had in the latter half of this season. After Labor Day, the weather was cold, wet, cold again. <laughs> You're not really expecting more people to come out when the weather, and I think it's probably that I can remember, Cliff, and you and I have been around for quite a while when it comes to Alouette games. I think this is probably the worst second half weather-wise from home, for Montreal Alouette home games. Because we usually have sun, maybe a little chilly, but the, but the weather was, just, was horrible. So what else? What other factors do these people need in order to in order to not blame Johnny, you know, and say, you know, oh, he doesn't, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. If the team were winning, the team were at five hundred, they're they're going for a playoff spot. The weather was perfect. You know, let's wait to twenty nineteen. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And again, you could, I, I won't. I, I can't take away from the, the argument about the weather. You're, you're absolutely right. It, it hasn't been ideal, and of course, most fans by and large, are driven by, you know, the whole football atmosphere. And for them, like, only the, like, the most hardcore fans are willing to sit through three hours of, you know, rain-soaked football. 
most of your casual fans are like, the hell with this. I'm not going to sit out there like that. Especially, too, if the team's not winning. That's the other key. Yeah. And it, th- that's the one common denominator with all of this is the team isn't winning. So, of course, people are going to stay away. Start winning games, the fans will come back. That, and I don't care who the quarterback is, whether it's Johnny Manziel, Antonio Pipkin, uh, Vernon Adams. I, I don't care who the quarterback is. The, the guy in the third row selling popcorn, you put him in as quarterback. As long as the team's winning, people will flock back to the stadium. That's that's the truth. And blaming all these other factors just takes away from the simple idea that this team doesn't win games. Therefore, the fans stay away. Yeah, that that's the simple truth. Start winning stadium. will. I, I can't guarantee a sellout, but more people will come back. More people will be taking interest in this. And that's going to be key for 2019. Like, yeah, it's really cool. You're coming out with snazzy uniforms and a whole new identity and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I just want to know. What are you planning to do on on the whole winning games thing? Because past two seasons, you, you you've got seven victories to your name out of a potential thirty six. That that says a lot. Yeah, yeah that's that that should say that should speak volumes to ownership. That should that should be the number one key to them is never mind the the identity of this team. Never mind what logo is going on the helmet. Never mind what the colors are and all that nonsense. If I'm ownership, I gotta be looking at seven wins. Hopefully eight, but seven wins in uh, two years. That's not acceptable. No wonder people don't want to come and watch this team. Nobody wants to watch a loser. And unfortunately, that's perception right now with Montreal is they're a bunch of losers. They're not even lovable losers because people just love to crap all over them. So how do you fix that? Yeah. The simple it's so simple. Win football games. Yep. But how do you win football games? It doesn't matter. You find a way. There's lots of ways. Stability at quarterback. That's, for starters. that's the first and foremost, but also have Stability. have have a team that can back up, back up a quarterback. And we, we I think we've seen that for the past couple of games. I mean, the Alouettes still have some holes that they need to fix in 2019, but they've looked better than they have. They have, they have. Like, listen, things have started to come together, and now it's just a matter of you know what you have. You're you're now starting. You, you you've been rebuilding now for two years. You've got what I consider to be a good small nucleus, and you just have to build on that Does and that just be- keep building. Does everybody forget how bad and how how much the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were just railed on when when Chris Jones got there and how bad they were? Look at where they are now. That was th- that was that was three seasons. He gave himself, I think he gave himself five originally. Was that what it was three or th- four, three or four or five? I can't remember what it was. But look look where they are now. You, you agree? You got to start down there to go back up. So before we get but to you, go ahead, Cliff. I'm sorry. I was going to say, but I think the big key is though is. Tr- trusting Chris Jones because you gave him all the power to do all the all the football moves essentially, yeah. and it took a little while for him to get get it going, but he did it. Now I think the big key is we don't really have a Chris Jones type here that can do that sort of thing. And I, I know a lot of people still don't have any faith in Cavis Reed or have any faith in his coaching staff yeah. as to whether it could all come together. So I mean, th- these are the questions too that still ownership. These are the ownership's the one that put these people into place. And ownership has to really take a good look at the situation and say to themselves, are these truly the men we want leading our football team? Mm -hmm. Or do we have to admit defeat yet again, admit the fact that we still don't have the right formula and be willing to risk it all again for the sake of winning? I think that's going to be the key right now in this offseason. As the Alouettes go in the offseason and taking a good hard look at themselves in the mirror and saying, we're not nearly as good as we should be. We've got talent. There's definitely talent here, but it's not being used to its full potential. And we got to do something about that. Yeah. Plain and simple. 
before we go on to get on with the rest of the show and in our interview, I just want we want to go ahead and thank our sponsor, Tarps Apparel Company. Uh, Tarps is a Canadian-made, Canadian-manufactured clothing company highlighting legendary athletes and their stores, uh, their stories on vintage tees. Hey, but Cliff, these aren't your regular T-shirts. They only use high-end bamboo-based material for their tees to create a thin, soft feel that is unmatched in the sports clothing market. If you want to get your hands on your favorite old-school players, whether it be uh, Louis Pasaglia, whether it be... um, uh, Peter Delariva, you know, they have these old school CFL legends available on shirts that you can order now. Um, you can head over to tarpsapparel.com, check out their lineup of, uh, I'm looking at these now, the, the Mosca shirt. I love the Mosca shirt. Chris Warby, man. I, I've, I don't know, have you ever worn a, a, uh, a bamboo shirt before, Cliff? I can honestly say no, I I have not. <laughs> I they are soft to the touch, man. It's not like any other shirt that you've worn before. That I can guarantee you. And again, if you want to have some old school, old school CFLers, uh, and also support these CFLers because a portion of these sales for the T-shirts will be going to the CFL Alumni Association. Head over to tarpsapparel.com and order one of the one of the shirts from these legends today. And don't forget, they are a Canadian company as well. So you are buying local. You are supporting not just Canadian football legends, but you're also supporting this great country and just helping a small Canadian business grow even bigger than uh, ever ever imagined. So, yeah, folks, get on this. Check them out. It's definitely a great company, very user-friendly. I can't say enough good things about them. And, uh, yeah, buy all the shirts, man. Yeah. Buy the shirts. Buy them. Buy them. And tell them, tell them that the Alouette's Flight Deck sent you. Um, as we mentioned before at the beginning of the show, we were able to get one of the what seems to be a very up and coming and rising star with the Alouettes, uh, defensive back Greg Reed. We had a chance to speak with him earlier this evening, and uh, we'll get to the uh, to the conversation now. And when we get back, we got uh, we got a little bit of uh, of uh, breaking information for you, the fans, on what's to come with Percival Molson Stadium in 2019. And on the line with us now, we have Montreal's newest defensive back. He's only been with the team for a couple of weeks. But I do know that if you have been following the Arena Football League, you'll know who this gentleman is. But if not, we want to make sure that you know all about him. He is number 33 from Florida State, Greg Reed. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Great to be here. So, Great to talk with you guys. Yeah. So we, we have to ask, Greg, I know you've only been in Montreal for uh, a few weeks or so, but uh, so far... Uh, um, how do you like the the city of Montreal? Uh, I absolutely love it, man. It's a great it's a great city. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, the people are a lot nicer here than where I'm from. So that's always good. Uh, it's it's a great it's a great city. I love the food. I love the uh, just love the art around the city. Mm-hmm. Love everything about Montreal. Honestly, have you? And it's only two hours flight from my house from Atlanta. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you had a chance to? Um... Have you had a chance to go to the to any of the lookouts, uh, like uh, to look over the city yet? Uh, I, I've been to one. I think it was a mountain. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, I, I've been. I've been there. It was nice. It was, uh, a lot of raccoons came up to me though. It was fun. <laughs> it was cool. It was pretty cool. Uh, also known as trash pandas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
right, we're gonna ask you, Greg. Um, uh, before you came to Montreal, uh, we know you played your your college football over at Florida State. But what uh, what in particular got you into football as as a kid? Was it somebody who you looked up to that got you into football, or was it something that you always wanted to do as a kid? Uh, well, I'm from the, uh, I'm from South Georgia, like south south of uh, you know Atlanta, of course, and kind of near Florida. And that's you know that's what growing up. That's all we knew, honestly. You know, playing playing football. Every uh, every weekend, you know, at family events, and so I it just I never really looked up to anyone. I never had like an older brother that that was playing football. I just loved the game from 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 the point I picked up a football. I just loved it. So that's what that, that's what I grew up doing. And everybody around me was football player too, as well. Like around my age, growing up. So that's all we did. That's all I knew. Honestly, that's the only sport I played. When you were playing football, know. did you look up to any? Who's your favorite pro star as a kid? As a kid, yeah. I'll say it, it's funny because I play defense now, and uh, my favorite player growing up was uh, a running back, and it was uh, Barry Sanders. Okay. Of course, I like. Of course, I like that you know Deion Prime and everything like that. But <laughs> I, I remember growing up watching. Uh, I remember growing up watching Barry Sanders okay. a lot. Out of uh, out of, I know you you did very well at Florida State. You're the 2009 NCAA punt return yardage leader. Uh, 2010, you went to the Chick Fil A Bowl and you were the defensive MVP. Um, you had a, a a short stint. I think it was a practice roster stint uh, with the St. Louis Rams in 2014. And then from there, uh, you had a calling and you've had a you had a you had quite a pretty good career in the in the Arena Football League. First. Uh, a short jaunt with the New Orleans Voodoo in 2015, but where you made a name for yourself was specifically in 2015 with the Jacksonville Sharks. As a football player, not I know you had your you you, were, you know you were drafted or you you're signed by the Rams, but then going to play arena football. What was what was your your mindset as a football player? Did you think that it was a you were just happy to be playing football even though it wasn't in the NFL? I honestly thought I was going to be in the NFL throughout, for a long period of time in my career. Right. Honestly, you know, I, uh, I went through a couple of injuries, so it kind of pushed me back a little bit. So, uh, but like you were saying about the arena football, they helped me out a lot. Just, uh, just, just always kept playing football, you know what I mean? Not taking years off and just sitting at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I took, uh, I think I took, well, last year I played a, a little bit of arena football, but not much. But, yeah, the arena football league helped me out a lot, man, by, uh, just going, just keep, just kept my body into the, you know, the, the hit in and the, you know, the, the drills that we do, just putting everything back in, uh, back into motion for me. So it helped me out a lot. Okay. Now I know in 2015, uh, you ended up for the Jacksonville Sharks. You were the Arena Football League's uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, you had a mon- right. monster year that year. You had nine interceptions uh, and a uh, one return for a touchdown. When you won the Rookie of the Year award, uh, what? How did you feel considering it was your your first year in arena football? Uh, honestly, after I, I thought it was going like you know a lot of people when I was considering playing in the arena football, a lot of people asked me, you know, uh, it's going to be hard. You know, you got people moving before because I never really played with the the waggle and the you know, the high motion. So uh, it was like it's going to be hard. So once I got to practice. And, you know, thank God that I, I went to Jacksonville and played with a lot of guys that, 
that was veteran at the time that played receiver, and they got me better throughout the uh, throughout my career, like uh, Tiger Jones and Joe Hills. Mm-hmm. You know, them them type of guys like that going against that practice. They only uh, it's you know, like I say, they only got the best out of me. So once I got you know to the game, it was just all kind of slowed down a, a little bit to me, and you know, I just played like that. But I wasn't surprised at all about the rookie of the year. I knew I was. I mean, I I I, I take that back. I was surprised that I got rookie of the year so late in the season. You know, I I came into Jacksonville like week seven, week six or week seven, and I was surprised that I, you know, uh, that I that I got rookie of the year coming into the season that late. But like I said, my team that I was on was really good, so they did a lot of a lot of work in it. I just looked good in the back end. But it was a fun experience, though, for real. Yeah. Uh, your your first two years that you, that you were with Jacksonville, 2015, 2016, you were you made first all team arena as a defensive back. Uh, 2017, you spent a short time with uh, the Tampa Bay Storm and also in the uh, NAL with the Monterey Steel. What um, mm-hmm. when you finally got that call? Well, actually, uh, who suggested to you to come to to play in the CFL? And was it with the Alouettes originally, or or was it with a, another team? Uh, I had got a call from a couple of different coaches. Well, just one in particular, and that was uh, Coach Jones. I didn't really think about, you know, coming to the CFL because I didn't know how it was, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind of like how Arena talked talk me up to it, and I came, and it was a great experience. So uh, I just talked to my agent, and I was uh, – I honestly looked – I mean, I'm not trying to talk talk bad about our record or anybody else's record, but I looked at two teams, and I wanted to make – I didn't want to go to the best team, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a competitor, so, you know, I want to always compete. And I just asked my agent. I was looking at uh looking at the records at the time, and I asked my agent, did he, knew, did he, did he know anybody in Montreal that I can, uh you know, hopefully get a chance with and, and come out there and show, show off my talent to help them have a better season, you know what I mean? So he called me and said he might have an opportunity for me. And, you know, weeks, weeks passed by. I'm like, oh, and, you know, it's just all talk. And then, you know, finally I got the, the opportunity to come come up here to to Montreal. And I knew I can always play. So I just really showed that, showed my effort to the to the coaches. And, uh, you know, two weeks ago I finally got a chance. Yep, that's true. And so far uh, you everything has seemed to work out well. And, and yes, I'm biased, but I would probably say that you probably one one of the best. You've helped the defense over the last two weeks. I mean, as a rookie uh, versus Toronto, you had seven tackles, and and the next week you had uh, last week versus Toronto. Also, you had another seven tackles. So, fourteen tackles in in two games as a starter, and and the first time in the CFL mm-hmm. to me bodes quite well right. for you, and looks it looks very good for obviously for your future with the uh, with the Alouettes in the CFL. Um, how long I hope, did it? I hope, Go ahead, Greg. I really hope so. I said, I really, I, really, I just, I really hope so. I hope it looks good. I mean, it's the, it, I have a lot of stuff I still have to learn, and uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm working every day to uh, to work on those things. So, what in particular that you've seen so far uh, in the CFL game did you have to get accustomed to the most? Because obviously, you've you've gone through them from college football. You went to the Arena League, which, in my opinion, I think helps CFL players the most. But, uh, but what 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 did you find was the uh, the hardest thing to get used to in the CFL? Um, you know, I, like you said, the Arena League really helped me out with the uh, the high motion, the waggles. So I was really that didn't really 
confused me a lot. It was what confused me was just knowing the speed of the game and knowing your responsibilities to help, you know, to help your teammates out and and just like I said, just knowing the formations, learning uh learning what you you know, the play calls and different things like that. It's, I mean at the end of the day it's football, but it's the uh I feel like, you know, the CFL is a lot faster. So I had to just get adapt to the speed of the game honestly. Okay. And re- recognize, you know, the formations and, you know, everything they're going to, you know, the offense come out with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Greg, uh, Florida State, uh, I believe you played under Jimbo Fisher. Am I, am I right? Right. I played um, one year. I played one year. I played one year uh, with Bobby Bowen the last few years. I played with uh, Jimbo. All right. Uh, I was that's perfect because I was going to ask of, I know you didn't get very much, uh, you didn't get a whole lot of time with uh, Bobby Bowden, but uh, of the two right. coaches, like what, what were the biggest lessons that you took away from, I guess, both of those guys? Cause I, I honestly thought it was just Jimbo, but uh, of, from both coaches, what was the biggest lessons you took away from them in your uh, career at FSU? I learned from, uh, from Bobby. Oh man. I mean, honestly, just, you know, he was a very spiritual guy. So just really, you know, trust and believing in, in God, man, and everything else and fall in place and, you know, everything like that. With Jimbo, it's just basically uh, just being humble, just being humble. Uh, don't be – it, it sounds a little different, but you can't be too competitive. You know what I mean? You got to you gotta settle down. You got to be humble because, you know, a couple games and, you know, a couple, couple seasons at Florida State, I was, I've been a little too competitive. Cause I, like I said, I always I come from a winning program in high school, and I always just wanted to win, do whatever I had to take to win. He taught me how to be humble. But uh, both of them guys was great coaches, though. He was a great coach. I learned a lot from him. Uh, but that's all I can give you on that. Okay. And uh, now working under Coach Stubler and uh, Coach Parker, uh, what are you what are you taking more from them especially like even though you it's it's a very small sample size at uh, your CFL career but uh, what are you taking so far from this experience compared to previous experiences in uh, football uh and honestly it's, it's nothing different there's nothing different you know you you come out of there you 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 put in the work every week and you go out on you know on game day to show your so your your performance just you know perform but they put me in you know I trust my 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 position coach, I trust, you know, my defensive coordinator to put me, to call the right plays, to put me in the best position to make plays. So, uh, I mean, they, I came in, you know, one guy, one of our teammates get, went down and they told me I was the next one up. And, you know, I uh, I played fair. I, like you said, I, I think I played well, but, you know, it, I couldn't, I couldn't, I could have, I couldn't do that by myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So my defensive, co- my defensive coaches really put me in the, the perfect position to to make plays, and I just really, I'm just really blessed for them giving me the opportunity. Honestly, mm-hmm. now this hasn't really been the best season for the Montreal Alouettes, unfortunately. Uh, but not yet, huh? not yet. I love the way you yeah. think, man. I love the way you think. <laughs> no, it's, it's and this this leads perfectly into it. Is last game of the season is on Saturday, and you want to go out with a bang. I can tell right away that you want to go out there and just really make that case to say, Hey, y'all bring me back next year because I am going to bring it. What for you, Greg is bringing it. What, what, what do you think you're going to have to do on Saturday to really show the Alouette's brass that you definitely want to be a part of this? Uh, you want to be- since, I, since I came into, you know, the, on the team late, I think me just 
my performance on the field, running to the ball, getting to the ball, making the plays that, that come to me, uh, just being vocal, just to show, you know, to, just to show them, like, my effort, you know what I mean, my passion, my uh, just fighting for, for the other 11 people on the field, and that's what I want to show. And, and, you know, when you cut on the film, I, that's what I want my teammates to see, like, you know, if he playing this hard, I can play this hard. He can play that hard. I can play that. You know, it just goes around the whole team. And, and once it click, it's going to click and nobody's going to be able to stop us. So that's what I really want to show. I want to show my passion. I want to show, you know, how how, how I want to fight for the next man beside me. Uh, yeah, just playing fast and being to the ball, honestly. See, you can't ask for much more than that, really. <laughs> I mean, you uh, can't, I mean it's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard being in my position because – I can probably do a lot of rah-rah talking, like, you know what I'm saying, to try to get them to believe in me. But it's late in the season, so now I got to show it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I got to show it. I, I, I want them to, them to know they can count on me. I want to be accountable. So that's the main thing. And, and, and going into next year, and going into next year, they already know by looking at the last game and feeling the last game what type of engine, what type of vibe it's going to be when we come back. Beautiful. And is the NFL still – in your in your thoughts, or are you more or less committed now to the CFL as far as uh, wanting to advance your playing career? Uh, of course, the NFL is always in my thoughts. Of course, but you know, Montreal, my city. Yeah, that's all I can say. <laughs> Montreal, my city now, and I'm just looking forward to to winning the Great Cup of Montreal. Everything else is just is in God's hands and they'll fall in place. Let's have a little bit of fun, Greg. Uh, when you first came to Montreal. What were you expecting, to be honest? Like, I'm not, I'm not talking about like the team itself, but like the city of Montreal. What were you expecting the moment you stepped off the plane? What was your th- first initial thought of Montreal itself? Uh, <laughs> I, ca- I came in August, so it wasn't cold yet. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what the, I didn't know what to expect. Honestly, I wasn't. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you. I wasn't even thinking about. You know, the, the city, I honestly was just thinking about football. Like, the first week, two weeks I was here, I was just thinking about strictly football. Mm-hmm. You know, I was asking my teammates, you know, places to eat. But, I mean, I was whatever much, whenever I stepped off that plane, whatever much I was throwing at me, I was I was with it. But I honestly was just thinking about football, 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 and, and football. That's, that's, all, like, that's all I was thinking about. So now that you, so now that you've gotten a little bit more time in Montreal, what 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 right, is right, what, right. what after football? What <laughs> what what is your what are your thoughts now? I mean, you have all the different things from the uh, from the obviously being French being the major language in Quebec, uh, right, right. English being second. Uh, it's being a very diverse right. city. Uh, you're living on an right. island. Uh, what, what any other thought, right. any other thoughts can, that came to mind? I, I mean, I thought that was cool that I'm living on an island and that uh, I just I've never been in a city that has like, you know, uh, projector on buildings, like showing, you know, different shows and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. I've never been in a city like that. And I, just the art, you know, I, I never really rode metros, you know, you know what I mean? Like that's that's what was a, a cool experience for me. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I just love I love the city. Bro. I mean, I. I honestly do. I brought I brought my uh my fiance down here. I went up here and she she absolutely loved it. So I mean, just the artwork, just the just the vibe, just the feel. You know, when I walk down the street of of being in you know Canada, Montreal, yeah. 
So let's talk about let's talk about the the Greg Reed after football. What do you usually do? You know, you 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 finish your your day, whether it be practice after a game or whatever. What does Greg Reed do to wind down during the day? During the day? Yeah. I give my whole schedule. I give my whole schedule right now. <laughs> so after practice, after practice, I uh I work out. Of course, I work out. Then I uh. I walk to I walk to the metro, catch the metro home. It's a great experience. Every time I I take the trip and walk to the metro and get on the metro, I just absolutely love it. And uh, you know, I just get I, I end up you know walking home. I stop by and uh, speak to my friends at Bistans because I love that place. I love I eat that place almost every two days, every day. <laughs> uh, I stop I stop in there and speak to them, and I walk home. I speak to everybody at the front desk and. Uh, I come in here, I immediately sit on the couch, take a break. I, uh, I cut on the film. I cut on my film from today. It's from the, the same day practice. I watch that. I watch that. I watch everything I need to uh, watch on from practice. And then I go into, you know, the game film of, you know, the team we're playing. And I watch that. I watch, like, two games of that. And then I play Madden. And then I just talk to my family. By that time, it's like, Seven, eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I'd be honest. I'd be tired and sleep at like ten thirty, eleven. So oh, okay. That's my whole day, honestly. Yeah, not nothing too special. You know, <laughs> nothing too special. <laughs> do you, do you do you watch any any type of television that you watch, Netflix or anything like that, to, to wind down? Uh, I've been I've been recently watching because it's Halloween. I've been recently watching the uh, uh, American Horror Stories. Oh, okay. So that's what I've been watching. Okay. So I'm looking at this city right now. I actually love, love this city. Uh, see, that's awesome. You got a great view of the city, and you just drink it in. And I, I tell everybody, and I'm biased because I was born and raised here. Like this is the greatest city in the world. So I, I'm, I'm so happy yeah, that other I, people really, see that too. It, it really is. It really is. I really think so. I mean, I haven't been around the whole world, but I mean, I, I don't see too many, too many places beating it. I just got to learn French now. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, listen, we've, you've given us a lot of your time. We definitely appreciate it. Um, people want to follow you on social media. How do they do that? Uh, G5 Takeover. G5 and Takeover. One word. I'm on Instagram. And Gregory5 is on Twitter. G5 Takeover is on Twitter as well. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you, you took over here for sure, and we definitely appreciate your time sitting here chatting with us. And uh, I'll tell you what, man. Go out and kill it this Saturday because yeah. – yeah. This, this is going to be the last chance to put your name your name on everybody's lips. And I, I got a feeling you're going to do that. I right. got a feeling you're going to have a breakout game and get everybody hyped for 2019 because we need it, man. We need this team back to being good. And if you can help us do that, we, we, we'd love it. We'd love it. Yeah, we're, we're waiting to see that, uh, that, uh, that pick six touchdown dance, Greg. Exactly, man. I, I mean, I, I'm ready for it. I need it. Well, again, man, we, we really appreciate your time. It was uh, our pleasure to have you on, man, and uh, we're glad to, to chat up with you again. Once again, thanks for Greg for uh, joining us on the on the flight deck this week. Um, as I said in the interview, Cliff, I really do think with what he's done in the past, first two games in his CFL career, I think this guy could easily be, be if he stays with the team, continues to be a starter. I would not be surprised if we saw him become a, a CFL all-star. Oh, without question. And how many times has the Alouettes done this? They've brought up a guy that you you don't know this guy from a hole in the wall, and he just comes up and balls right out. And he just takes – it. just basically grabs that opportunity by the throat and makes the most of it. 
And that's what Greg's been doing so far, and he's been just killing it so far. I mean, it's a very small sample size, but he has definitely proven more than his worth. So I'm very excited to see what he's going to be like next season with a full training camp under his belt. Yeah, Man, I tell you what, I, I, I love his energy. I love how excited he is to be an Alouette. That's going to translate so well on the field. And tell you what, folks, next year, absolutely, as we said, keep an eye on number 33. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with what you see. I, I do too. So as we teased at the uh, before the beginning of, at the top of the show and uh, right before the interview, um, the Alouettes are going to be releasing the the pricing structures and whatnot for the uh, for the 2019 season ticket drive, along with what we have been given some exclusive interview. Uh, but the team will be expounding more about it in a press release that will be coming out very shortly. Uh, that there are going to be some changes, Cliff, to Percival Molson Stadium for the 2019 season. Now, we do not have the current pricing structure of what the tickets are going to be, but we do have the changes of what are going to be made at Percival Molson. And I know you and I talked about this prior, and um, I, there is there is quite a bit to talk about. So, for the first thing that's going to be happening that we can break here on the, on the pod is that as of 2019, Cliff, these are the following sections that, they, that will be closed sections will be closed at Percival Molson for Montreal Alouette games in 2019 sections C2 M2 N2 Z2 and Q2 and one thing I do want to mention Cliff when we're when since we're reading these is that M2 and N2 are part of the new uh, the new part of the section that was uh, that was built for in 2010. So that's that's one thing I find interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. The team also wants to regroup the fans more in the center of the stadium to create a better atmosphere, which I get. I mean, this weekend was not really a good gauge because of the weather and how how everybody was, you know, how, how everybody was was uh, uh, basically spread out on the on the, on the south side. Um, also. This is what this is a big thing I wanted to talk about. Actually, well, I'll, I'll say this one last. The next thing that they want to do is that they want to have they're going to have a new family section in, in uh, section in Y two, so where we usually sit, Cliff, up above. They're going to be putting the new section there from where it currently is. They're also mm-hmm. going to move the all you can eat section to P one. The current all you can eat section for two thousand and eighteen was in section Z two, mm-hmm. which is one of the sections that they are closing. Also, they are going to be moving general admission to P4 and P5. So currently, the general admission section is lo- was lo- is located in M2 and N2. So those those are going to be moved to the other set the other side. Now, what I found it, found interesting, by the way, is that they're moving those sections. Um, they're moving the general admission sections basically to the end zone seats in the end zone. Hmm. Now, the big thing. And I'm sure many of you are, are possibly asking this question too. But the big thing now, Cliff, is that according to the team, with these changes, the capacity at Percival, Percival Molson Stadium will be around 20,000 seats, which is very interesting. It, Absolutely. It's, it's very, it sounds very similar to what the Argos did this past year over, over at BMO. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this this is something that I wanted to point out. So for the, the current current... Uh, attendance is is listed at twenty three thousand five hundred. We're bringing it down to approximately twenty k, 
So that's going to be a difference of, of approximately anywhere between 14.9 to 15% less. It's going to be reduced by that by 15%. That's a huge difference from what they did in 2014, Cliff, when they reduced it, when they brought in the, the, uh, the fan zone and they reduced it by 6.1%. And obviously, compared to what they did with the new expansion in 2010, increasing it to 25,012, and that was that was an increase of twenty three thousand. Uh, sorry, twenty three point eight percent. As a Alouettes fan who's been there for a long, long time, what's your what's your thought on it? We're gonna, obviously we're going to hear more from the team once the once the information comes out via the media and see the new pricing structures. But what's what's I I, I want to call this bombshell. But these these seem to be changes that I think the Alouettes. I guess they're looking at that they need to be done. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier is the fact that what's the key thing that the Alouettes fans or the key thing that the Alouettes have to do to get fans back in the stands is win football games. When you don't win football games, people stay away. As a result, the stadium looks half full or barely full, to be honest with you. Uh, This last game, you're right. uh, It's not, I, I feel a great representation of what true Alouettes football fans are like, because a lot of fans simply just looked at the weather. They looked at the team, looked at the fact that this game meant nothing and said, yeah, I'll I'll just watch it from home uh, on my big screen TV. I get that. I completely get that. In order to get fans excited, like they've been trying to sell the experience of Percival Molson stadium. And I hate to say it, but they, they missed the mark. Uh, I mean, trying to, Entice people to come on social, you know, for the whole social experience. They weren't able to capture that. As a result, the attendance has dwindled down, and now you're looking like eighteen thousand is a, is considered to be the the benchmark now, which is terrible, quite frankly. Like that, that's not something to be proud of. I, again, I, I can't overstate the fact that if you want this stadium full, it's very attainable. But you've got to win football games. Until then, yeah, I guess the best thing to have to do now is just close off sections that are just aren't performing. Yeah, try to cluster people together so it does give that sort of impression that hey, the stadium is full and this is a, a rocking stadium and people are having a good time. But really, truly, like the only way you're going to fill the stadium again is win football games. I can't overstate this enough. Is that that's the key ingredient? If this team was winning on a consistent basis, you wouldn't have this issue. You when when they expanded it to 25,000 fans in uh, in 2010. I thought it was bold. I thought it was something that was good. They were just coming off back-to-back Grey Cup wins, so it made sense. Like, Alouette's football had never been hotter at that point, so it made sense to capitalize on that. But over the years, as things have sort of dovetailed and uh, like the, the team itself has just kind of gone down steadily over the years, so has the attendance. So it's yeah. there's a direct correlation to the number of people in the stands versus number of wins in the win column, you you can't deny that. Like numbers don't lie. Like the more this team wins, the more fans will come out and support this team. But you got to give them a reason to be excited. You got to give them something to look forward to. Yeah. And yeah, signing all these flashy names and things like that that does give a, a temporary bump. But you're not filling the stadium with that. Like it's it's just one of those things that it, it, it's a short-term thing, but you're not thinking about the long-term. And that's one thing that this Alouettes organization, unfortunately, has not done in a long time, is thought about the long-term impact of these, a lot of these personnel moves, uh, a lot of the, you know, just the, the overall play on the field. Like, these things were not taken into account when it comes to this. And now they're reaping what they've sown. 
because now they've had no they've got no choice now but to sort of whittle things down a little bit kind of streamline the the stadium experience a little bit more and i mean i hope it works and i hope it has the effect that now it will create demand it will create sort of a buzz like if, especially if this team starts winning again if they can start winning i guarantee those sections will reopen and uh, percival molson stadium will be the place to go once again in montreal it still comes down to the fact that it just boils down to one simple thing. You've got to win football games. Yeah. That's all there is to it. From what I've heard from the team, and I asked that question just specifically, which you just stated, is that if, if they get to a point where if it is a quote-unquote sellout at 20,000 and the demand is there, will they open up the other sections? And I was told at least uh, right now that no. Because those current sections, those current five sections that were closed will not be opened up. Um, I, I think the best way to get these sections open up in 2020 is to start, you know, the team to start winning, people start showing up to do it on a, on a consistent basis, go back to the reason why they expanded the stadium back when they did in 2010. And, and there's two other times before when they first came over, uh, to, uh, uh to, to Molson. Um, but by the way, which is funny. You know, funny, funny that we're talking about this, Cliff, is because uh, Friday, because we're taping this on Halloween, Friday, November 2nd, will be the anniversary from when the Alouettes moved to Percival Molson Stadium. It yes. will be it'll be 21 years. Since that infamous U2 concert at Olympic Stadium, which basically forced the Alouettes out yep. before they could play a, play their home playoff game. Yep. So, Cliff, if, if you were somebody with the team, and by the way, we do have a, a uh, interview scheduled with uh, with the Alouettes Brass that we will be conducting later on this week and that we'll have for next week's podcast. If you were somebody with the team, or even as a fan who, who for a naysayer that says, well, listen, what was the point of you expanding this, uh, expanding the, the stadium if you're just going to reduce the, keep reducing the the size and the, and the what is considered the, uh, sell out point in a stadium. Well, again, this, it, this comes back to what I said in 2010 when they expanded. This team was basically on fire. They they were winning. Again, they they'd been winning for years, but I mean, like they were really winning and coming off two like back to back Grey Cup wins and technically three straight Grey Cup appearances. When you think about it, yeah. Uh, listen, Alouette's football at that point had reached. It's peak. It really was the the thing. Like people were loving themselves, the Alouettes. It made total sense to expand the stadium. And it worked because people wanted to come see this team. They wanted to see guys like Ben Cahoon and Anthony Calvillo go out there and, and win football games. That's what this team was all about. And then just, like I said, little by little, things just sort of fell, fell to the wayside. Uh, things weren't being taken care of. Uh, Losses starting to pile up here and there, a couple of so-so seasons. And yeah, of course, Montrealers, by and large, they want to support a winner. And if the team's not winning, then they're just going to stay away. Or they'll support, as I said, from from their house, watching on the game on, on their, on their high-def TV. Uh, thing is, you can only sell so much of the stadium as the attraction. Yes, there's nothing better than going to a football game at Percival Molson Stadium. I've been to numerous stadiums throughout the league, and call me a homer if you want, but I will always say that the best place to watch a football game is at Percival Molson Stadium. Because when the stadium is packed and the fans are into it and they're more obsessed with 
the game as opposed to taking selfies and making a spectacle of themselves or you know any number of things that are supposed to distract from the football game. When the fans are truly into the football game and they're loud and they're voracious, there's nothing better. To me, that, that's what makes the stadium such an amazing place. And there was a time when people did not want to play at Personal Wilson Stadium because they knew that the atmosphere was second to none. Right. And now you gotta get you gotta find a way to get back to that. And I keep saying that you've got to win football games to do so. And it's gonna work because you start winning football games, you start building that buzz. Now you're b- kind of back to where you were back in the early 2000s, where it was only 20,000 people in the stands, and getting tickets was next to impossible, or it was next to impossible. Like there, you just, it was, it literally was difficult because the games were always sold out. And right. I know that really sold out, but you know, like it, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 it fed that narrative. It yes. still gave people the impression that, oh damn, as soon as tickets go on sale, I got to snap up because I do not want to miss a moment of this. Or I got to become a season ticket holder because I want to make sure I can still go to a football game like that, that there was that general genuine buzz to the Alouettes. And that buzz hasn't been there in a long, long time. And I, I will go back and say it's because this team has not been winning on a consistent basis. They have, the fans have not been able to identify very well with certain players. And the ones that they do identify with, uh, they, they don't stick around very long. So that's kind of hard to. Really what it comes down to is if the Alouettes decide to streamline things, they decide to kind of go back to basics, if you will, so be it. Sometimes you, you don't have a choice but to do that. But with that in mind, like that's got to help motivate the team to be better and play better. Right. And if they can start stringing wins together and get that buzz. And I know that the Alouettes have said themselves that they're probably not going to open things up. But I have a feeling that if this team were to win consistently and sell out these 20,000 seats on a consistent basis, I have a feeling that for bigger games, especially like towards the end of the season or, God forbid, even into a playoff run, I, I think those seats would open up pretty quick yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, if you have any questions, I said we're going to, we have it scheduled that we're going to speak to them late this week. But if you have any questions for the Isles Brass, uh, when it comes to what, if you have any questions for, uh, for them concerning the stadium situation and whatever questions you may have about it, um, do a couple of, you can do a couple of things. First, you can, I think the best way is to send us a, a question either at the at our Twitter account at AlouettesFLDeck and use the hashtag AlsQuestion, A-L-S-Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N. That's the hashtag, AlsQuestion. And we will uh, collect them all and we will ask the questions uh, that, we, that we do get from you guys. So if you can, uh, get us the questions by Friday uh, afternoon uh, at, let's say, 3 p.m. Eastern at the latest. So uh, use the hashtag Al's question. Um, so I'm curious to see what they have to say, but we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that and you'll be able to hear the, the, what they say to us next week. Uh, the Alouettes released today, Cliff, the, uh, uh, the, sorry, the CFL unveiled the 28 teams, most outstanding players on Wednesday and the, and the other, you know, postseason awards. Uh, and we have, uh, we have a couple of players of our own that were announced, and I know a lot of people are saying, "Well, who the hell would we announce for these, for these, uh, for, for these awards?" Considering how how poor the team was this past season, but you know, you look at the at the with the team uh, nominated, who the team nominated, 
I I think they came across with some pretty good picks, didn't they? Oh, no question. Uh, for those of you that aren't aware of who got nominated for what, I'll, I'll read them off to you right now. Uh, Mo, the Alouettes nominee for most outstanding player of 2018 was Hinak Moamba. The nominee for the most outstanding defensive player was Hinak Moamba. Uh, most outstanding Canadian goes to Hinak Moamba. <laughs> you see a theme, I see a theme here. Uh, most outstanding offensive lineman goes to Christian Matt. Uh, most outstanding special teams goes to William Stanback. And most outstanding rookie goes to, once again, William Stanback. Nice. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, uh, if I was given a vote, and why haven't I been given a vote, quite frankly, but (laughs) uh, I I, I don't see too many faults with this. I I definitely think uh, this has not been a great season for the Alouettes. There hasn't really been too many stars that really stood out as far as on the field goes, but... uh, Without question, Hinak Mwamba definitely oh, yeah, for deserves sure. for sure. He deserves a lot, a lot of accolades for what he's turned in this season. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he's a defensive player and Canadian, that kind of makes it very easy to nominate him in those categories as well. Uh, I think the only one I would sort of uh, kind of scratch my head a little bit with is uh, Christian Matt as offensive lineman because I mean let's let's be honest. The defensive line has not been anything to write home about this year. To be able to choose and the fact that he was the outstanding nominee, too, uh, amongst his peers was uh, a little surprising as well, just because I I don't know. I kind of look at the offensive line and nobody really, truly stood out and, and shined. It just really felt like, OK, well, we've got to nominate somebody. So right, right. Why not go with the Christian, I guess? And again, I'm, I'm not saying this to slight him at any by any stretch of the imagination. It's just just the way that this offensive line in 2018 has been is that. Really, to say that somebody was outstanding is very generous, let's just say. Yeah. Would you have chosen anybody else for Rookie of the Year besides William Stanbeck? I find it a little, you know, I find it questionable that he got a uh, special teams player, but I mean, I know he did do some, you know, some special teams, but I mean, uh, I don't know who else to give. I think, I think Stanbeck probably would be the, I guess, the best rookie so far that, that who qualified. Um, yeah, I mean, either him or Ryder Stone. I mean, those were the, the two rookies that I felt uh, really stood out this year. I mean, again, it's it, it, it's tough because, especially to like what's considered to be a rookie as well, too. I mean, like by the way, Manziel would not be considered a rookie. No, because under, see, under, under, the, under the rules that the CFL go by, Manziel would not be considered a rookie. No, and I quite frankly, I would have been shocked if he was the, oh, yeah, the yeah, nominee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I think uh, William Stanbeck. Uh, Again, this this guy literally came out of nowhere, uh, replaced uh, Tyrell Sutton when uh, Sutton went down to injury, uh, replaced Stefan Logan, too, on special teams. There we go. That's so, I mean, where he, it came from. You're right. You're right. So, I mean, like he's he's definitely had he's been going a trial by fire and he's he's come through. Uh, the, the kids played outstanding football by and large. So I I definitely agree that it, it's a little, it was a little shocking to see him as special teams. But when you think about the body of work that he turned in. I'd say, quite frankly, that he he nailed it. He he really did what he had to do, and definitely deserves to be rewarded for it. And yeah, same thing with uh, most outstanding rookie. I could name off a couple of names, but no one was really outstanding in that regards. Whereas Stanbeck, I really felt with the combined effort of what he did for special teams as well as what he's done in the Yellow West backfield, I definitely say yeah. I I, I would definitely go with. Stan, I, I, would, I had a feeling Stanback would be nominated as rookie, and if I was given a vote, I probably would have gone with Stanback myself as well. So I think it's definitely well-deserved, and uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely think uh, 
he has definitely proven himself in his first year and just gives us hope for the future because Montreal and the running back situation, I had a feeling was going to be changing after this season and ends up changing a lot sooner than that. But a lot of that is because, hey, we got this stud in the backfield that 24 years old still has a lot of football ahead of him. He's proven himself time and time again. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're just going to throw him in there, and he's going to be our guy now. So he, he's done it. He's, he's done what he's had to do, and the Alouettes will hopefully be better for the experience. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how many of them actually do move on to, to the final rounds, but I know with all of them it's going to be very, very tough, very, very tough for, for, for all of our, any of our nominees to, to move on. Uh, Cliff, we are coming upon, dude, the final game. Of the 2018 season. We got yes. Hamilton this week. We Everybody remembers the debacle in Hamilton last year uh, where they did not score. It was a perfect way to end the season where they didn't score a single point. The Alouettes have gotten over that hump and, and had, had more wins than they did for the 2017 season. Uh, this is a game where you have a Hamilton team that really is hurting coming into the game just by their just by how poorly they played last week everything's mm-hmm. already clinched for hamilton but we also know that they don't want to go into the playoffs on a, on a losing streak so my question to you is coming into this game how much does mazzoli pet play at quarterback if hamilton's smart not at all i, I don't think mazzoli should be playing in fact i definitely see the tiger cats resting a lot of, if not all of their starters, because again, they're going to be playing next week versus either BC or Winnipeg or no, uh, BC is BC. Sorry. Yeah. So they've got to start thinking about the playoffs already. So I, this game against Montreal is a nothing game. It's essentially a preseason game once again. So I don't foresee Mazzoli or any of the starters really, truly getting any reps because why, why take the chance? Why risk having your stars go out there and get injured in a nothing game Knowing full well your playoff run starts the next week, mm-hmm. so to me, I, I just it does it doesn't make logical sense to take this game, this upcoming game on Saturday seriously at all. Yeah, you don't necessarily want to go into the playoffs on a losing skid. I agree with that, but at the same time, this win against Montreal would mean absolutely nothing, like literally nothing. It doesn't change anything. You you know you're going to be second place in the Eastern Division. You know the BC Lions are coming to your house next week. To play, I mean, yeah, I I can almost forgive the uh, the Tiger Cats for essentially just phoning it in. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, and uh, you know they don't want a repeat of what happened to Brandon Banks. They don't want that ha- that happened to their starting quarterback. Um, yeah, it's you know uh, the Owls are not very good in Hamilton uh, at all. Uh, I mean, they have split the last four games. At uh, Tim Hortons Field, um, but before that, they were on, on quite a bit of a losing streak. I know it's the end of the season. I think the Owls have more to play for. They should be playing most of their starters for the almost the entire game. Um, what I thought was funny too is even though it may be a nothing game itself, it, uh, you know the line itself for the game right now is uh, is seven points hmm. for Hamilton. Well, and again, I'm sure they're looking at the records and making their. Uh prognostication based off that but really truly i just i personally don't see it i don't see any of hamilton's actual starters 
getting any reps or maybe one, two max. I mean, if that, I mean, unless somebody has a, a personal record that they're going for, but even then I'd almost imagine they'd prefer to just stay healthy versus any, any sort of personal best that you can have during the regular season. Right. Right. I mean, as far as I know, I don't think anyone is up for any sort of like, you know, rushing yards or passing yards or any sort of plateau in that sense. So, and even if they were, I still think that the the coaches are just going to say, you know what? No, I'm not risking. As you said, the, the whole, you think of the whole Brandon Banks thing, yeah. what a blow that was for them. Because I, I won't say that was their entire season, but man, that was, that, that loss stung big time. So I, God, God forbid if like a, a Jeremiah Masoli or a Luke Tasker or anyone else got hurt. I, I mean, yeah, I, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see anybody of any note playing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats on Saturday. Because Montreal, one of their guys gets banged up. Oh, well, guess what? You're not playing another game until June, so so what? Whereas Hamilton, they've got so, they've got everything to lose. Yeah. So I, I think they would really, truly rather just throw their, their youngsters or practice roster guys out there just get through this game. If they manage to pull off a win, bully for them. If not, well, guess what? The the real season starts the next week anyway, so let's focus on that. What's funny is that the Alouettes have closed the season in Hamilton. The last, this is the third year in a row, four out of five. That's, that's crazy. Come on, schedule makers. <laughs> and I think a lot of folks were hoping that and yeah, they've been it, at it, Hamilton. They've been always at Hamilton. The last three years has been at Hamilton. Yeah. Just something about Tim Horns Field in, in November, I guess. <laughs> something. Something. I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm 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 curious to see what I said. The Alouettes have everything to their I don't know what they're gonna do when it comes to the quarterback reps. I hope Johnny does get at least I he, I'm sure he will get at least a half, if not more. Um, or they'll switch it up. Maybe maybe they put Pipkin to start and Johnny to come in in the second half. Who knows? We don't know what Coach Sherman and the rest of the coaching staff is thinking. So, um, and let's not forget, it's going to be a homecoming game, if you will, for Johnny. That he and yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. This would this would be his first time actually playing a football game at Tim Hortons Field, just not for Hamilton. <laughs> Did he play a game in the preseason? Uh, yes, but preseason obviously doesn't count. Okay, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, the, like he's dressed for regular season games for the Tiger Cats, but never once set foot on the field. That's true. But uh, come Saturday, like this would be his return, so to speak, since being traded to Montreal. And uh, yeah, this could be people. If anybody ever wants to see Johnny Football live in Hamilton, this is your chance. Sunday, <laughs> just, Sunday, Sunday. Just, just not for, not for the Tiger Cats. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So it will be an interesting game. It's going to be part of a triple header. Yikes. Well, it's the end of the season. I think it's the first game of the triple header, right? A uh, double header. It's a double header? I thought it was, yeah, a, two yeah, games. I thought it was a triple header this weekend. No, two games on Friday, two Saturday. Oh, was it two, oh, two on Friday? Yep. I believe so. Uh, no, sir, you are wrong. Yep. Toronto, Ottawa well, on Friday, and then triple header on Saturday. Oh, Edmonton first. That's weird. What the. Oh man, this is what this is what again. We don't read the schedule, folks. <laughs> well, except for your, for your own teams. I, I knew Montreal was playing. <laughs> yeah, it's triple header, triple header to end the season. And All the, right. And, well. and the game, I guess it's the game to, to decide the West. The game to decide the West will be the last game on Saturday. And uh, possibly Jason Moss's last game of uh, as a Edmonton head coach, if you were to believe uh, certain reports that are coming out. Yeah, yeah. So, so this could this could this could very well be a very interesting weekend of football. But 
for so many different reasons. Yes. So so even if your team may be out of it, uh, Toronto, Edmonton, Montreal, watch the rest of the games this week, especially the last game uh, uh, on Saturday where it will be Wally Buono's la- last game, last game in the CFL. Yeah, I think uh, that's going to be a really interesting one to watch. Uh, I think uh, I don't think it'll be a dry eye in the house at BC Place uh, as uh, the, the fans there pay tribute to arguably the greatest coach that this league has ever known. Yeah. Uh, definitely a, a class act. Wally Buono is uh, both on and off the field. And uh, yeah, I definitely want to wish him all the best. And uh, as he closes this chapter of his life and mm-hmm. moves on to the next one, uh, I, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting uh, seeing uh, football without uh, Wally Buono being involved in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I know. So don't forget you can contact us on social media. There are multiple places that you can do so. The easiest way is to head over to our Twitter account, and that is at Alouette's FL Deck. There's also over at Facebook at Alouette's Flight Deck. But if you want to listen to any of the past shows from in the uh, archive of the Alouette's Flight Deck, there are multiple places you can do so. Best place is to head over to www.alouette'sflightdeck.ca or head over to Google Play Music iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Uh, Cliff, um, I, obviously I will be speaking with you later on this week while we do that uh, interview with the Alouettes. Do not forget to send us a question with the hashtag Al's Questions. Al's Questions. Yeah, this is your chance, folks. If you want, you want to know more about what's going on with your team, you want to be, you want to show that you're interactive, you 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 care about this team. You want to know what's going to be happening for 2019? The, the time is now. You you provide the questions, we'll get you the answers. That's right. That's right. So, Cliff, I will talk to you soon. And everybody, uh, enjoy the final week of the regular season in the CFL as we head on the road to the Grey Cup. So, for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck, for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.